I'd say you can either look at it in your Bible or up on the screen. But this week, uh, or last week rather, um, my little clicker fried. <laughs> the batteries in it fried. Um, so you got to actually look at it in, in your Bible. And because um, we're, we're not going to be u- using PowerPoints, it'd it just uh, be, be too difficult. So Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. The people of Israel have just made it through the Red Sea by God's hand. The Lord has crushed their enemies behind them. And Exodus 15, verse 1 reads, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father is God, and I will exalt him. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, you are worthy of all worship and all praise. More specifically, God, you are worthy of our worship and our praise. God, literally everything about who you are and what you do is reason for worship. God, would you help us to give nothing less? I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Worship is one of those words that often gets thrown around in churches and Christian circles. I remember hearing it a lot. You know, I grew up in church, I grew up in a Christian school, and I'd hear this word worship all the time. Uh, but for me, and maybe for you, there was, there was some confusion about what this word worship means. I thought, well... Is worship just a style of music? Okay. But then I was like, but they call the thing we do on Sunday morning the worship service. Okay. So worship is something I do on Sunday, right? That, that's, it's, it's the whole church service, not just the singing that's worship. But then other people would tell me, no, no, worship is a, is a gladness and gratitude of heart toward God. And I'd say, Okay, I I don't really know how that that fits in. And then other people would say, no, it's not about a gladness of heart. It's about a duty that that you choose to worship God. And so I, I was all over the map about what true worship really is. So what is it? What is true worship? What is it that we are called to do? What is it that God is worthy of? This was a very important question for Israel over 3,000 years ago, and it remains one of the most important questions we could ever ask for us today. For Israel, as I kind of was explaining earlier, they were now walking with God in the wilderness. They're not in Egypt anymore. They have been freed by God from their slavery. They have uh, been covered by the blood of the Passover lamb. They've had their cruel taskmaster Pharaoh and his army crushed behind them. Now it's time for Israel to walk 
with God in the wilderness. But what we'll see is that a major part of walking with God is going to be worshiping God. And this is going to be a common theme uh, in Exodus chapters 15 through 19 and, and even onward of what it looks like to worship God. But this is true for us too. Remember, like we, we too are walking with God in the wilderness if we have trusted in Christ Jesus. We too have had the ultimate Passover lamb cover our sins and save us. We too have been freed from the, our slavery to sin and our bondage to eternal death. And God has defanged our cruel taskmaster, Satan and his army, in his death on the cross and in his resurrection. He has no ultimate power over us, yet we are not in the promised land yet. We must walk with God in the wilderness. Therefore, we must learn to worship God in the wilderness as well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take this song of Moses, this song of Israel, after they, they've crossed the Red Sea, and, and singing certainly is a form of worship. It's not the only way we worship, but we're, we're going to say, okay, what are some principles I can, I can take from this song, that we can take from this song and apply to our lives? And, and it's important, by the way, to remember that, that as Christians, Every moment and every action of our lives is to be worship to God. Romans 12, 1, Paul said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So that means everything we, we think, everything we do, every song we sing, Everything we do is to be an act of worship, not just singing, not just coming to church, not just our, quote, religious duties. Every moment is to be an act of worship to God. And so we need to understand the essence of worship. We need to clear the clutter because too often we're informed by pop culture about what our, what our worship should look like. Uh, and maybe, honestly, even worse, we're informed by cultural Christianity about what our worship should look like. Cultural Christianity is, of course, those who just say, well, I go to church because I'm supposed to, and that's just what you do. And that, you know, we, we're in the South, we're, we're in the buckle of the Bible Belt, we get it. But we don't want our worship to be informed by pop culture or cultural Christianity. We want our worship informed by the Word of God. Because we don't want our worship or our lives to be lived in vain. So what is it that, that makes worship true worship? What is it that makes a song a worship song? What is it that makes a life a living sacrifice as an act of worship? Well, the first point I want to give you, and by the way, if you have your bulletin, you can follow along there. The first point I want to draw from the text is, number one, worship is to God. Worship is to God. What, what I mean by that is God is to be the audience of our worship. God is to be the recipient of our worship. That We're, we're going to see some flaws in the worship of Israel as we go along. But one thing they explicitly, unmistakably get right is that this 
Song of worship is to God. Look at it in your Bibles uh, there in the prelude in the first line of the song. So verse 1 there, chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord. You might wonder at this point, you say, why is he talking about this? Of course of course this song is to the Lord. Of course their worship is to the Lord. I think we need to give this some thought. I grew up uh, in what we'll call an emotionally conservative church, <laughs> meaning people were not very emotionally expressive. There wasn't uh, raising of hands. There wasn't clapping. There wasn't loud amens or anything like that. And it was cool. That it was a great church, uh, truthfully. Uh, but but as I, I grew up, I, I started to venture out to other churches, and um, I noticed that not everyone worshipped in the same way my old church did. I, I noticed that in these other churches, in the ones I started attending regularly, that I mean the, the people weren't going crazy. Don't get me wrong, but I mean they were lifting their hands high. During the music, they were clapping their hands. They were they were shouting amens. There were people on their knees, maybe singing or or even laying prostrate in, on the ground during the worship songs. And at first, I was kind of like, "Whoa, what are they doing?" But then I started to say, "Whoa, they really love God," and I, I started to be very impressed by these outward acts of worship. But it did not take long before my being impressed with them turned to my insecurity. It, it didn't take long before I, I, I thought, hey, they're probably looking at me, the, the emotionally conservative one, and thinking, he must not really love God. He must not really be devoted to God. And so you know what I started doing? I started raising my hands. I started clapping in the songs. I started shouting amen during the sermon. I'd sometimes sing on my knees or whatever. I started doing it all. Finally, everyone around me would know how much I loved God and how devoted I was to him. Finally, everyone would know I was a true worshiper. But you know what? That was not worship. It wasn't. It was not worship to God anyways. Who, who was I worshiping? I was worshiping the people around me and their opinion of me. I was worshiping what other people thought of me because I wanted to impress them. I wanted their, uh, their esteem. I wanted their applause, a pat on the back. Well done, man, you, you really love God. That was a great worship set. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? Anyways, this is what I did. And I want you to understand that was not worship. If anything, it was idolatry. I was worshiping what other people thought of me. It was the, the esteem of others I was looking for, not to give an offering to God. Now, again, that was in a music setting, but worship is not only music. It's not only how we act during the worship set at church. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, chapter 1. Matthew 6, chapter 1. Beware 
of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Beware. I mean, that, that, Jesus didn't say beware all that often, but when he did, this is basically what he was talking about. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Then Jesus goes on in Matthew 6 to give uh, three areas of worship, just kind of describing what this might look like. Verse 2 of chapter 6, he says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites, hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Then in verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What was the problem with all these so-called acts of worship? Giving to the needy. Well, that's good, right? We're supposed to do that. But they were doing it to be seen by others. Prayer. Even public prayer is not a bad thing. There's plenty of public prayer in the Bible. How, how could that be bad? Well, the hypocrites were doing it to be seen by others. And, and same for fasting. They'd make themselves look gloomy so people would know. Oh, is everything all right, Jeff? Oh, yeah, I've just been fasting for two days now. Just seeking the Lord. You have received your reward, Jesus said. You want to be seen by others? You want applause? If that is the reward you want, that is the reward you will get and nothing more. Those are haunting words to me. If our acts of worship are to the eyes of others and not to God, you have received your reward. You may get a pat on the back. You may get someone who is impressed with you, but it will not matter. It will be vain. It will be temporary. And who cares what other people think? <laughs> like, I don't know. They're just another person like you. What about the God of the universe? What, what, what about a pleasing aroma to him? What, what about enjoying him in the fellowship of worship? You will not receive that reward. You will certainly receive no eternal reward for these hypocritical acts of worship. We need to be sure. We need to be sure. Jesus said at, uh, at one point, don't, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. His point was, when, when you're doing worship to God, don't worry about what other people see. Don't, don't, don't worry about if someone else gets to see you do it. I mean, come on, think about it. We've all been there. We, we go to do a good deed, but then we're just like, Anyone watching? Okay, I'll wait a second. They're about to walk in the room. Okay, and now I'll do the good deed. I wanted them to see it. Or, or, or maybe in a conversation, oh, I wasn't going to bring it up, but it kind of just slipped out of my mouth. I told them about the huge tithe I dropped in the plate. It just kind of came out. It came up in conversation. I had to. We knew what we were doing. We were bragging. 
We wanted to be seen by others. Our worship was to others, not to God. And that is not worship. Now, there is another step that is is similar that I see in this text. It's similar, but it's different and it's important. So so I hope you'll hang with me to to see the difference here. Uh, Number two that I, that I, I see in our text, number two in your notes, worship is about God. Worship is about God. Again, we'll, we'll get to the flaw of Israel's worship in a moment, but this is another place where they nail it. Without a doubt, this song in Exodus chapter 15 is about God. God is the focus. Now, now Israel is mentioned in the song, but they are mentioned as the needy recipients of God's mercy, God's grace, God's strength, God's love, God's salvation. And you know what? Egypt is actually mentioned more than Israel in this song. We'll, we'll look at it more next week, by the way. Uh, Egypt is mentioned more in this uh, song than Israel, but they are only mentioned as the recipients of God's justice and righteous wrath. This song is about God. By the way, I counted. I don't know if my count was perfect because it was hard to keep count. But in these 19 verses, so it ends at verse 21, but some of those are are, uh, kind of commentary verses. So there are 19 verses of song. And in those 19 verses, God is referred to 51 times. That's almost three times per verse that, that God is referenced, that God, he has done this. He has thrown the right under sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. God is unquestionably the focus of this song. He is the one who is being glorified. He is the one who is being exalted. His person, his works. We see that, by the way, um, in in kind of the second half of verse 1. I will sing to the Lord. or Yeah, second half of verse 1, sorry. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. I mean, it doesn't even say that he, he say, it's talking about just what he has done. He, he has the victory. The horse and his rider, he has thrown into the sea. It doesn't talk about Moses, that Moses put out his staff and, so, and then the waters parted. It doesn't talk about Moses, you know, putting out his staff and the waters closed. It doesn't talk about Israel. Look how brave Israel was. Look how brave we were because we trusted in the Lord. We chose to have the Lord as our strength and therefore we were strong. No, it is God. He triumphed gloriously. We we see uh, again in in verse uh, 2, the Lord is my strength and he has become my salvation. It's not focusing on Israel's strength or Moses' strength, but God's strength. He is my strength and he has become my salvation. It's not focused on, look at the salvation we have chosen to accept. Look at the faith we put in God. Look at the boldness we have had for walking with God through the waters. The focus is 100% on God. He gets all the glory. He did all the work according to the song. And this, again, we think about our own worship and how often are, are we, we thinking about the, the ways that we have done things for God, the obedience 
uh, that we've given God, the ways we've served other people or served the church. And, and we, we take those things and we make that the object of our worship. Look how faithful I am to you, God. Look how well I obey you, God. Look how much I serve you, God. God, you are lucky to have me on your team. And so this type of worship is, quote unquote, to God. You're singing it to God. You're doing it before God. But really what you're doing is saying, God, look how good I am. Look how lucky you are to have me. I trust you so well. I obey you. I serve you. I just want to tell you, that is not worship. Now, you can use the same words, by the way, and have a different meaning. We'll, we'll get there in a moment, but you can, you can talk about how you, you, you trust God, about how you want to bless the Lord, oh my soul, I will sing to the Lord. You can talk about those things, but if God is not the focus, if it's not about God, His salvation his sustaining, his strength in your life for both service and obedience. It again is idolatry. It's worship of self rather than God. While, while point number one was about the esteem of others, worshiping for the esteem of others, this point number two is about worshiping for our own self-esteem. I think highly of myself, therefore, I will praise me in the presence of God. The Bible has a lot to say about that, by the way, that no man may boast in the presence of God. But I love how Paul puts this, by the way, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says this, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Okay, there's, there's kind of a, a lot there, but he says, By the grace of God, the free, unmerited gift of God, I am what I am. What is Paul? He's a Christian. He's a missionary. He's a preacher. He, he's a servant of God. He's obedient to God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. He says, But his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. So he worked to be a good Christian. He worked to be a good missionary, to be a good preacher, to be a good servant of God. But he says there, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This, this is an amazing reality that, that Paul is putting together. Yes, I worked, but it was God working in me. So God deserves all the worship, all the praise and all the glory every single time. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, again, highlights this, this same idea. Paul commands, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Christian, you absolutely should work 
out your salvation. You should work to trust God. You should dig in your Bible. You should spend time in prayer. You should spend time uh, in being discipled and under preaching. And you, you should spend time looking out, seeing how you can worship God, how you can serve God. And it, and it should be sometimes, Paul talks about this agonizo, it's this, this struggle, it's this, uh, this pain to, to do all these things. You work, but you do it knowing it is God working in you, both to will, that means he's giving you the desire, and to work, that means he's giving you the power to do all these things. Therefore, your worship must never be about you, your faith, your obedience, your service. It is about God. This psalm, psalm uh, this song rather, in Exodus 15, is about God. There is not one honorable mention of something Israel has done or Moses has done. It is all about the work of God. Anything less is robbing God of the, the glory and the worship he deserves. And it's robbing ourselves of enjoying him. I don't make a good God, so I shouldn't worship me. <laughs> and you don't either, and you shouldn't either. One of my favorite books, uh, I, I mentioned it probably a dozen times in my pastorate here. One of my favorite books is Tim Keller's short work called The Secret of Self-Forgetfulness. The Secret of Self-Forgetfulness. In that short book, Keller explains that our general problem in living a life of worship is that we are far too focused on ourselves, what others think of us, and what we think of us. And because of that, because we are focused on ourselves, what others think of us, and what we think of us, our, our, our worship stumbles. Our worship is deficient. It's flawed. It robs us of true worship to God. It robs God of receiving that true worship. But the antidote, Keller says, is this. Forget yourself and focus on the glory of God. Humility, we've talked about this, you know, humility isn't thinking badly about yourself. Humility is just thinking less of about yourself. It's not thinking less of yourself, but less about yourself. It's, you're just not thinking about yourself at all. So again, using music, for instance, you, you come in here and you don't worry about the person next to you. You don't worry about the person behind you. You just worship. If your hands happen to go up in worship, great. If you happen to clap, great. If you happen to say amen, great. But if you stand still and you're truly worshiping, great. Because you're not doing it for uh, the audience of people around you. And you're not even trying to do it for yourself. God, look how godly I am. I raise my hands in worship. I don't care what others think. I mean, we, 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 <laughs> we get these things all turned around and we remove worship. But again, Keller says, forget yourself and focus on the glory of God. Put your focus on the infinite, boundless, awesome, wondrous, all-satisfying glory of God. The one who purchased your salvation, the one who applied your salvation, and the one who is now helping you to work out your salvation to serve and to obey Him in true worship. Forget yourself and focus on God. That is the only place true worship happens. Anything else quickly turns to idolatry. Worshiping things other than God. And I, I want to be frank with you. I want to like kind of brace you for this. This will be both frustrating and freeing. 
It will be frustrating to your sinful flesh, but it will be freeing to your saved soul. Your flesh is not going to like doing good deeds and others not knowing about it. (laughs) Your flesh is not going to like people no longer patting you on the back because you don't make sure everyone knows the good you've done. Your flesh is not going to like that. But guess what? Our flesh is sinful. Our flesh is deceitful. Our flesh is trying to drag us down. And so we don't want to feed our flesh. We want to starve it. And so by cutting off the the, the flesh's desire for the esteem of others or even our own self-esteem, by cutting that off and turning to worship of God, it's going to hurt. But it's good because the right part of you is dying. Your flesh is being cut off. But I said, again, this is freeing. I'm telling you guys, again, I went through that. I went through that season of raising my hands so that people would see me do it. Amen. And so people would hear me do it. My good deeds were done for the eyes of others. I went through a season of those sort of mixed motives. And when I realized what was going on, it was so freeing to stop worrying about what others think or what I think of me. It was so freeing to just sing worship to God and to truly not care what the people around me think of of my act of worship or what my voice sounds like or doesn't sound like. It was truly freeing to not worry about if other people saw the good deeds I was doing. It's freeing to our soul to truly worship God and Him alone be the audience and Him alone receive the glory. Our worship must be to Him and our worship must be about Him. It is freeing to our souls. Now, I, I mentioned, um, you know, that I, I started out going to an emotionally conservative church, but then later I went to an emotionally expressive church. But the question is, which one was right? Which one was offering up true worship? Here, here's what I want to show you. Point number three. Point number three. Worship is from the heart. Worship is from the heart. And my aim is this. I'll go ahead and give you the answer and then explain it. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter. As long as it's truly worship from your heart to God, about God, it doesn't matter. But, But we'll get there. We'll get there. There are some on one extreme. And by the way, my, my childhood church wasn't this extreme. There are some who would say that worship from the heart consists only of your emotions. Emotions equals worship. What you feel about God dictates whether or not you are worshiping God. And if your emotions aren't fully engaged, if you're not just overwhelmed with joy and love and gratitude to God, then it's not true worship. That would be what some would say, an extreme. But then on the other hand, you have those who would say, no, 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 no. Emotions muddy the waters. Duty. Now, when you know you that God deserves worship, so you just do it, that's true worship. And the moment you start to feel these emotions, that's actually taking your eyes off this duty of worship you owe to God. That's not a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, if you have joy in your heart. There are some that are that stern, (laughs) that are that somber about their worship to God. It is only a duty. 
emotions actually ruin your worship. So which is right? Well, I would say from my study of God's word that both of these have a shred of truth, but both of these have some errors. That, that, that's, that's what I would say. According to God's word, worship from the heart should include our emotions. That is ideal. We, we should feel great love and joy and gratitude towards God. Because he, he's deserving. He is, uh, he's done so many loving things for us. He's done so many things that we should be grateful for. And it should reach to our emotions. Uh, look at Exodus uh, 15 verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. What does it mean to say that the Lord is my song? Does it mean... Uh, that, that, okay, well, God has done this for us, so we got to sing a song, guys. Uh, I, know, I know we don't want to do this, Israel, but let, let's just go ahead and offer God this worship so we can get on with it. That is not the impression that I get here in Exodus 15. The, these are the people who have just been freed from their captivity. They have just crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground, and they have had their enemies crushed behind them. God has done that. And what I see here is a people who are so overwhelmed with joy and love and gratitude that they don't know what to do with themselves. And so evidently someone with poetic abilities threw together a song because it says verse one, then, like so right after this Red Sea crossing, within, you know, hours or day, they... they they did this song as an outlet for what was inside them. They had this emotion welling up in them towards God, love, gratitude, joy, and they needed an outlet for it. And that's what this song was. The Lord is my strength and my song. So it is good, it is right to have emotions, fitting emotions to, to, to God of love and joy and gratitude. It is good to desire this type of praise towards God. Remember, Jesus said, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And I would say that certainly includes our emotions. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's a command. We're to rejoice in God. <clears throat> but... There is something to the dutiful worshiper. There is something to the person who says, you worship God whether or not you feel like it. There is something to, to saying, even though my emotions aren't in it, I'm going to worship him anyways. I told you that there's a bad example in this worship of Israel <clears throat> here in Exodus 15. Scan down to verse 22 if you have your Bible open. Verse 22. So the song ends in verse 21. Verse 22, they, they set out. They go into the wilderness. They go three days and they don't find water. They're thirsty. Verse 23, they find water, but they could not drink it because it was bitter. It was undrinkable. Verse 24, and the people grumbled against Moses. They, they grumble against Moses, and, they, and so Moses is, is God's servant, so they're grumbling against God. It has been three days since God parted the Red Sea before them and they walked across on dry ground. 
It has been three days since God crushed their enemies behind them, literally. It has been three days since they sung this overwhelming, heartfelt, emotional song of worship to God. Three days. And now they have turned to grumbling. Why? Because their circumstances changed and their emotions changed. And so they stopped worshiping God. Their gratitude turned to grumbling. Their love turned to lamenting. This this is terrible. All this because their circumstances and their emotions had changed. And let me ask you this. This is so important. Had God changed in that three days? No, God, God hadn't changed at all. He was still Yahweh, I am who I am, glorious God, creator of the universe. He was still the one who had saved them, who had covered them by the blood of the Lamb, who had drawn them out of slavery. He was still their God and their sustainer. And he was no less worthy of worship just because their emotions weren't in it. Our emotions are important, okay? Our emotions are important. They tell us how our heart is doing. They tell us how our heart is functioning and, and, and whether or not we need to you know, make some adjustments or have some healing going on. But we should never let our emotions dictate our actions. I've heard it said that our emotions are supposed to be like a dashboard in our car. Don't make fun of my dashboard. I worked hard on that. It has been said that our emotions are supposed to be like the dashboard on a car. It gives us good information about what's going on in the car. And and when you see that red light pop on, that check engine light, it's time to do some heart checking on the dashboard of 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 our lives. Something's going wrong in my emotions. Boop, beep, beep. Something's wrong. I, I need to check it. I need to do some investigating. But we don't take directions from our dashboard. We don't follow those needles. We follow a map or a GPS, right? If you follow the needles uh, on your dashboard, who knows where you're going to end up? That's never what the needles were meant to do. They were not meant to tell you where to go. They were meant to tell you what's going on. The map. The truth about God, the truth of God's word, that is what we are supposed to follow even when our emotions don't feel like it. We worship and obey God because God is worthy of our worship and he is worthy of our obedience all the time, no matter which direction the needles on our emotions are pointing. Our emotions are fickle. Our emotions are sometimes dead wrong, by the way. Why would we follow them? We need to follow the truth about God. So this is the first thing we can do when our emotions are in it, okay? Because it's going to happen. There are going to be times that you have to, to, to dutifully worship God. We follow the roadmap of God's word, not our emotions. When you're, you, you say, okay, I know I'm supposed to worship God, but I don't feel like worshiping God. We follow the roadmap of God's word, not our emotions. And that should lead us to 
Second, worship God anyways because he's worthy, okay? And by the way, I've been here so many times <laughs> that my emotions have not been in it. There have been times that I felt let down by God. But you know what God's word says? He's always worthy of worship. The roadmap, not, my, not the needles of my emotions, the dashboard of my emotions, the roadmap tells me that God is always worthy, that God is always good. Therefore, I always should worship him. By the way, a great example of this is uh, Job. Job is a man uh, in the Bible, the Old Testament, who lost everything. He lost his children, he lost his wealth, he lost his health. It's safe to say he didn't feel like worshiping God. Look at there, it says uh, Job 1, 20 and 21. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. Is that celebration? No, that, that, that's lamentation. That is symbols of, of deep grief and sadness. He tears his robe and shaves his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. Whoa, I didn't know those two things could happen in the same action. These deep symbols of grief, but also this deep worship. And then verse 21, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We can and we must worship God no matter what our emotions are telling us. No matter how our circumstances change, God did not. No matter how our emotions fluctuate, God is faithful. He deserves worship and we should give it to him even when our emotions aren't there. But third, because our emotions are important and should not be totally ignored, we seek to get our emotions in line with the truth about God. You, you should. That, that red warning light on the dashboard of your heart is a problem. And you should deal with it. If you feel uh, let down by God, if you feel anger toward God, if you feel nothing toward God, that should be a red light flashing. And you should seek to get your emotions in line with the truth about God and the heartfelt emotion you should feel about God. We see this in Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. By the way, the same thing happens in Psalm 104. But Psalm 103, David writes this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, it's unknown the exact uh, background of that psalm. It's unknown exactly why he wrote this. But, but David is a man who had many, many highs in his life and many lows. And evidently, this song was written in a low because he is having to tell himself, bless the Lord, O my soul. That's a command. That's not, I bless you, Lord. That's a command to himself. Bless the Lord, Jeff. Bless the Lord with all that is within you. Bless his holy name. And you, you see the, the key at the, the end of that verse too? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Ah, there's the key. 
We, we bless the Lord. He's always deserving of our worship. He's always deserving of our heartfelt, emotional worship. And one of the ways we do that is by forgetting not all his benefits. When your circumstances have turned sour, like the bitter waters for, for Israel, look to the benefits of God. Don't forget, this is the God who has just redeemed you. This is the God who has brought you to himself. This is the God who has sustained you all this way. This is the God who has conquered your enemies. And this is the God who will bring you to the promised land. Forget not his benefits. Your worship is to him. Your worship is about him. And we have that and even feel that by focusing on God Forgetting not his benefits, his glory, his greatness, and all those things given to us. It's interesting. I have found that when I follow the roadmap of God's word rather than my emotions, and I go ahead and I worship God, I go ahead and obey God, oftentimes my emotions will catch up. Oftentimes, my emotions will catch up as I, as I say, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to worship you anyways. I'm going to obey you anyways, even though I don't feel like it. But God, would you, would you help me to bless you? Would you help me to love you? Would you help me to feel this joy in you? And oftentimes, as we do that, God does change our emotion. Our gloom gets erased and the, the, what feels like a burden to worship and obey him gets lifted. He brings back, he restores the joy of our salvation again, as David puts it. So friends, I challenge you today, check your worship. Don't let it just be another throwaway word that we, we use and it doesn't really matter what it means. No, it matters. Worship matters. Check your worship. Is your worship truly to God? Or do you do acts of worship so that other people will think well of you? Is your worship really about God or is it actually about you? Your faith, your obedience, your service to God. How lucky God is to have you on his team. And is your worship from the heart? Do you desire to worship God with the fullness of emotion? But are you willing to worship him even when you don't feel it? This is the essence of true worship. This is what our God desires and what he deserves. This is what he has saved us for. And this is what we will find our satisfaction in. Let's pray. Father God. We confess our weakness in this area of worship. We confess that we have sometimes worshipped for our own reputation and what others think of us. We, we've done good deeds. We've done acts of worship just so that others would see. God, we confess that to you. God, we confess that we have sometimes been praising our own glory while pretending to worship you. We've been looking at how faithful we are, how obedient we are, 
what a great servant we are instead of looking to your greatness. Instead of recognizing that any greatness that is within us is only a gift from you, God. And God, we repent of that. And God, we confess that we are sometimes emotionally a mess. Some of us don't feel comfortable worshiping you with emotions, the emotions that we really should feel toward you. Others, uh, others of us only worship when our emotions are in it, only when our circumstances lead to happy emotions and then we'll praise you. God, we repent of these things. Because you alone are worthy. We don't deserve the glory. We don't deserve the worship. You do. And we repent of these things because you are worthy of deep, heartfelt worship. You're worthy of our worship even when we don't feel like it. We should obey you. We should bless you. And God, I do pray that you would bring our emotions in line with the truth about you and your greatness and your glory and the gift you have given us in salvation. Let us worship you with our whole hearts, God. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, the one who has freed us from the bankruptcy of worshiping things that are not God and the one who has given us the riches of worshiping and enjoying the God of the universe. In his name I pray, amen. Amen.